Hello, if you're listening to this recording, we just wanted to let you know that our original sermon from November 26th failed to record, and so this is a recreation of that message. We've been talking for the last several weeks about being a church more like Jesus, being a Jesus-shaped church. We've been talking about that for the last couple of months, actually, and we are wrapping up that series today. And as we do, uh, we wanted to take a look. We've looked over the last couple of of months at at what it means to be a Jesus-shaped church. We've looked at what the church is, how the church operates, what the church does. Um, But over the last last week and this week, we wanted to take a look and see what we as a church understand about and how we interact with humanity. And so last week, we Uh, took a look at what it meant to be made in the image of God. We said that everybody who exists, every person, every man, woman, and child carries within them the Imago Dei, the the image of God that God has placed his his print in them. And that that means certain things. It means, at the very least, that we are incarnational, vocational, communal, and sexual. It can mean many more things than that, but it has to mean at least those four things, that we are incarnational, vocational, communal, and sexual. And I wanted to return to the last of those four things today. We want to talk today uh, about what it means to be people made with sex and sexuality and how uh, we as a a people, as a Jesus-shaped church, interact with sex and sexuality. And so as we do that, I also want to just be upfront and be sensitive um, and be aware that There are people who are here today, who are listening to this, um, who have had bad interactions with the church when it comes to human sexuality. The church has been uh, abusive, has been dismissive, uh, has been thoughtless, has been careless with the topic of human sexuality, and that has led to uh, any number of people being hurt. Also want to be aware that that you may have experienced sexual violence or sexual abuse in your life. And so the topic of sexuality may be a difficult one for you in particular uh, to deal with, not necessarily associated with the church, but associated with uh, things that you have experienced. And if that is the case, I want you to know how deeply sorry I am that that has been your experience. Um, We are not so naive as to believe that that nobody in our church has suffered from that. Statistics tell us that one in four women and one in seven men are the victims of sexual violence, or sexual abuse during their lives. And so certainly um, that affects people who are near and dear to this community. And so we just wanted to be upfront and say that it is not our intention to re-traumatize or to injure uh, or to, to harm anyone, but even with the best of intentions and even being as careful as we possibly can be, uh, we know that, that, that it's possible that, that we might accidentally do that. And so while it's always our desire to have people lean into uh, the teaching of the church and, and engage with it uh, to the best of their abilities, we understand that you may need to lean out from this teaching. And if that's okay, uh, uh, if that's the case, that's okay. There's no shame in that. We, we want you to know that. Uh, So we said last week that we are created with sexuality. What does that mean? I want to return to something we shared last Sunday, a a definition of sexuality shared by Deborah Hirsch. She writes, Sexuality can be described as the deep desire and longing 
that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with, to understand that which is other than ourselves. Essentially, it is a longing to know and be known by other people on physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual levels. And, and so when we talk about sexuality, this is the definition that we're kind of operating under, this desire to know and be known in, in physical, emotional, um, psychological, or mental, and spiritual ways. And, and everybody has that desire. Everybody is created with sexuality, and that predates the fall of mankind. Sex and sexuality are not bad things, and, and we need to know that. And when we talk about sexuality, especially in Christian spheres, our discussion turns to sexual ethics. Um, how shall we behave as sexual people? And, and, and I want to say that, that sexual ethics is more than who can do what with whom. That's, that's the question that everybody wants to answer. Well, well, you know, what are the rules? Who can do what with whom? And, and honestly, that reduces human sexuality to just sexual activity. And human sexuality is more than that. It's broader than that. It's bigger than that. It's more complex and nuanced than that. So we have to resist that temptation to reduce sexual ethics just to who can do what with whom. Um, so how do people who are created with sexuality, who are created in God's image, how do we interact with one another in ways that honor God and each other? That is the better question about sexual ethics. And so when we talk about being made with sexuality, when we talk about, have, uh, about needing to live in a God-honoring, God-pleasing way and desiring to do that, when we talk about sexual ethics, wanting to to live in a way that is Christ-like with our sexuality, that's the question we want to answer. How do people who are created with sexuality interact with each other in ways that honor God and each other? In order to answer that question, um, we're going to go to something that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 2 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 through 8. This is one of the first books um, that, that Paul writes one of his first letters. It's the oldest one that we have. In fact, it's the oldest piece of Christian literature that still exists today, as far as we know. And so from very early on, the church was having this conversation about how we live as sexual people. And, and Paul writes to the Christians at Thessalonica and says um, something to them about how they're to live as sexual people. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. Paul writes, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warn you now. For God did not call us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives us his Holy Spirit. Uh, this text, I think, is, is fundamental. It's foundational uh, to us. By the way, I, I love, yeah, have you ever wanted to know if you ever ask yourself, what is the will of God? What is God's will for me? I, I have asked that question any number of times, sleepless nights, um, 
uh, throughout my life. What is God's will? And and literally like open up to any page of the Bible and, and kind of there it is. But in First Thessalonians, at least a couple of times, Paul is very explicit. This is God's will. And so here it is in chapter four. This is God's will for you. And uh, so this is this is foundational. This is very fundamental. And no matter who you are, and no matter how you understand or express your sexuality, whether you are straight, gay, uh, bi, pansexual, asexual, uh, whether you're cisgender, transgender, or whether you are male, female, intersex, this teaching is for all of us. Now, this is for every person who's created in the image of God, for every person that has um, is created in, with sexuality, which is all of us. Paul says, this is God's will for you. And he says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Your sanctification, that is a great, great stained glass window word. I don't remember the last time I used that in any context other than, than a church. Uh, that I never use the word sanctification when I'm at the grocery store. Um, it is just a Christian word that we we come across in the Bible and we go, oh yeah, that's a good Christian word. Maybe we don't know what it is. Maybe we don't understand perhaps what sanctification means. And so sanctification needs a little definition here. That's uh, God's will for us that, 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 our, that we be sanctified. Our sanctification is God's will. So what is that? Well, sanctification is the ongoing process of being made holy. It is the continual process of, of being called to be set apart for God, of being more conformed to the pattern of Jesus. A sanctification is, is not a one-and-done thing. It is an ongoing thing um, in our lives. And, and so we know that we were created in the image of God, that God's print is on us. And that cannot be taken away. That can't be removed from us. But because of our our choices, because of our sins, our mistakes, and because of the world that we live in, the brokenness that, that is around us all the time, uh, that image of God in us becomes, becomes tarnished, becomes muddied, sullied, obscured, blurred, um, and it's harder for that image of God to be seen in us and for us to live into it. And so sanctification is that process as we come to Jesus and say, you are Lord, you are Savior, um, I follow you, I'm your disciple. Uh, sanctification is that process of becoming more like Jesus. And in doing so, he is cleaning up that image of God in us. He is, he is making it less um, obscure. He's making it clearer for us. He's, he's, he's polishing off that tarnish so that we can live into that image of God once again, that ongoing process of being made holy uh, and conformed to the pattern of Jesus. And, and Paul says that how we handle our sexuality as we engage with one another is part of that process. Um, that, that if we want to be a sanctified people, it includes what we do with our sexuality. And so Paul calls us away here. If we want to be sanctified, he calls us away from sexual immorality. That phrase, sexual immorality or sexually immoral, that shows up um, between 20 and 30 times in, in the New Testament and in about the same number of verses, about two dozen times or so. Um, so what does it mean when Paul says sexual immorality? That's kind of a big catch-all phrase. Uh, what does it mean to abstain from sexual immorality, to be a people um, like Jesus in our sexuality? Well, when Paul uses that phrase, he, he tends to mean one of three things, two of which are here in this text, and one is not. Uh, let me share all three with you really quick. The first thing that Paul means when he uses the phrase sexual immorality 
is not included in this text, and it has to do with idol worship. That somehow our sex, our sex life, our sexuality has become entangled with idol worship. Um, you know, you would go to the, the cult temple and you would engage in sexual activity there as part of an act of worship. Um, and Paul says, no, that can't happen. That's sexually immoral. Don't, don't do that. And, and certainly, I, I don't think that probably that's a, a thing that's happening for most of us today. We're not engaging in some kind of cult ritual practice sexually, although certainly we have indeed elevated sex itself to the place of idolatry, of an idol. Sex is something certainly that we worship, I think, in our culture, and so that's something that we should talk about. Um, but but uh, uh, the first thing that Paul means when he says sexual immorality is, has to do with idol worship. The other two are here in this text. The first uh, of those other two is lack of self-control, and the other one is harm to others. So when Paul talks about sexual immorality, what's he talking about? He's talking about um, a sexuality that is related to idol worship, a sexuality that's related to lack of self-control, and a sexuality that does harm to others. So how do we um, move away from that? How do we, in other words, how do we lean into sanctification in our sexuality? There's two things I, I want to suggest to you from our text today. And the first is this, that we are faithful. We are called to be a faithful people. We're called to be faithful to ourselves. We're called to be faithful to our God. We're called to be faithful to those around us. Um, Paul says that you ought to control yourselves. What we're talking about is living with integrity, that that we are um, faithful in whatever kind of, um, whatever status we happen to be in, in our life. Um, so are, are you single? Then you are called to be faithfully single. You're called to, to, to abstinence or celibacy in your singleness. Uh, that is that is faithfully single. Are you married? You're called to be monogamous in your marriage. That is faithfully um, married. Are you divorced or widowed? You're called to be faithful in those circumstances as well. You're you're called to um, you're called to abstinence uh, as a, a divorced person or as a widowed person until such time as you happen to be married again, uh, if that occurs. And so whether you are single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, you're called to faithfulness. You, Paul talks about this some in, in 1 Corinthians, um, where he says, whatever state you happen to be in, be faithful in that state. And I, I, would, I would agree with Paul and say that along with him, because, because we are faithful. We're faithful to our partners. We're faithful to our God. We're faithful to ourselves. We're faithful to keep God at the center of our lives. And by the way, this, this faithfulness, um, either to our partners or to, um, to celibacy, uh, whatever happens to be, to, to abstinence, that includes pornography. We have to say that as well, uh, that we are faithful uh, to, to God and to ourselves and to others. We, have, we are people of integrity who can control our own bodies. Do we get that wrong? Yes, we do. We get that wrong a lot. And I don't want to... I don't want to slip into, I don't want to slip into purity culture with this. I don't want to say that like, oh, you do this one thing, you step one toe out of line and, and you've lost your purity, you've lost your sanctification, you've lost your salvation, you're going to go to hell. Nothing like that. We're not, we're not, we're not preaching purity culture. We are preaching though faithfulness. And, and so we also say that, that when we are less than faithful, God is still faithful. 
And in his faithfulness to us, he gives us so much grace. And we are still loved by him. We are still his beloved children. We are still in the process of being sanctified. We can always come back to that. God is a God who always welcomes his prodigal sons and daughters home um, after one mistake, after many mistakes. Um, And so there's so much grace um, for that. Give yourself grace. God gives you grace. Give each other grace. God gives you grace. Uh, And be faithful. Uh, Not only are we called to be faithful um, to ourselves and to God, but we're also called then in our sexuality to honor others. Uh, Paul says in our text today that not only should we control ourselves to control our own bodies with holiness and honor, not in lustful passion, but he also says that no one should wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter. Do not wrong or exploit. Do not do not abuse or, or coerce. These things are, are unbecoming of the people of God. These things are unbecoming of people made in God's image as they express their sexuality. We can express our sexuality uh, toward others and in the world without exploitation, without harm, without abuse, without coercion. And I don't mean that just physically, by the way. Um, exploitation, abuse, harm, those things can happen physically, to be sure. Those things can also happen mentally and emotionally and spiritually those things can happen um, those things can happen to single people those things can happen to married people those things can happen in a marriage okay there there can be abuse in marriage we would be foolish to think that that is not the case uh, just because you say I do does not mean that your partner gets to do whatever they want whenever they want um, we still are people who have autonomy um, I'm married to my wife. I love my wife. Um, we uh, share our lives together, but but she still has autonomy over herself, and so do I. Uh, we do not get to coerce each other. We don't get to abuse each other. We don't get to exploit each other. That's just not okay as the people of God. And so we, we don't want to uh, harm others. We want to honor others. We don't want to uh, intentionally or unintentionally re-traumatize others by what we say or what we do. We don't want to to force others to live our way or to live against their own convictions. Uh, We want to be people who who live toward others in grace-filled ways and in consent-filled ways. Consent is so important in this idea of honoring others. And and it's not hard. It doesn't have to be hard. And we're not just talking about the act of sex. Again, we're not just talking about the act of sex. When we talk about consent, it can be something very simple. I was... um, I was at a Thanksgiving gathering the Saturday after Thanksgiving. It was kind of a Friendsgiving celebration. I knew many of the people there, although there were a few um, people I was meeting for the first time. Um, so getting to party with some new friends and, and just have a, a good time, good meal, good conversation. And um, twice uh, in, during that gathering, people came up to me and said, Oh, it's so good to see you. May I give you a hug? Well, yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful. And I so appreciate that ask. It, it's it's good. We, as people who are created with sexuality, we need physical contact, not just with our, our spouses, but just with people around us, with friends, with family, with neighbors, with people of our community, in, just in even small ways, putting a hand on a shoulder, embracing, shaking hands, giving high fives. Like We need those good and affirming touches, and to have it happen in a consent 
faith-filled way is honoring. We want to honor others. We don't want to, to impose ourselves on others. We don't want to make others act in a way that is uncomfortable to them or against their convictions. And so we want to be people who are faithful to, um, to God, who has called us to live in a particular way. We want us to be people who, who act in integrity and in ourselves, that, that we are faithful to the situation, the circumstance of life that, that we happen to be in, single, married, divorced, etc., we, we want to be honoring toward others, toward every person that we meet is, a, is another person who has been made in the image of God. Every person that we meet is another person who's been made in the image of God and is worthy of respect, honor, dignity, and love. And so as people who are, are sexual, who have sexuality, who are expressing sexuality, we want to express that and live that in such a way that we are faithful and that we are honoring. Well, how do we do that? Because that sounds great. Sounds great on paper. Yes, I want to be faithful. Yes, I want to honor. But um, that seems very, very difficult sometimes to do practically. How can you and I live with faithfulness and honor toward others in our world where, um, where sexuality has been, and a lot of times reduced to sexual activity, and where we are bombarded with hyper-sexualized images daily, um, whether it's on TV or on the internet, uh, um, just just out in the world, billboards that we drive past, uh, all over the place. How do we express ourselves faithfully and in honoring ways in a world where abuse and coercion is so commonplace? Um, what can help us course correct um, from expressing and experiencing? sexuality in the ways of the world and bring us back to this Christian sexual ethic of living in faithfulness and living in honor toward one another. And I think that the answer for that is God's Holy Spirit. At the end of our text today, Paul reminds us that, that anyone who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but is rejecting God who gives us his Holy Spirit who has also given his Holy Spirit to you, Paul says. Paul is saying this doesn't work without God's Holy Spirit. In order to be sanctified, the, this ongoing work of sanctification, of drawing near to Jesus, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We need God's Holy Spirit continually drawing us toward Jesus, shaping us, teaching us, guiding us, molding us more in the pattern of Jesus. And so we need the Holy Spirit if we're going to live a sanctified life. We need the Holy Spirit if we're going to live... Um, in, in healthy ways as sexual people. And, and so we need um, this Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit produces within us the things that we need for this kind of course correction as, um, as people who hold a Christian sexual ethic. Um, it produces in us what we often call the fruit of the Spirit. This is the, the, the things that, that become... Uh, apparent in us as we live according to the Spirit, as we lean into the Spirit. They're described at the end of Galatians chapter 5 uh, in verses 22 and 23. I'm not going to read that passage right now, but I do want to talk about this fruit for just a second because each one of these fruit cor uh, corrects uh, a bad understanding of sexuality in our world. So let me let me show, show you this uh, real quick. Um, our world, sexuality in our ruled, world is ruled by lust. But the Holy Spirit corrects that by producing love in us, agape love. Lust is, is a me-first-centered 
emotion where agape love is an others first centered choice. Um, we live in our world, uh, sexuality in our world is often guided by envy. We are envious of others, the way that they look, the things that they do, um, all sorts of things, who their people are with. Um, and, and that's corrected by joy. Instead of being envious about others, we are joyful for one another's. Anger, the, the emotion of anger, we're so angry at people all the time. This is course corrected by the fruit of peace. Irritability, instead of Instead of relating to one another with irritability, that is corrected by the fruit of patience. Thoughtlessness is corrected by kindness. Cruelty is corrected by goodness. Disregard, oh, we disregard, we discard people all the time uh, as though they are commodities, something to be used up and, and gotten rid of. Disregard is corrected by faithfulness. Violence, and again, not just physical violence, but, but mental, emotional, spiritual Sexual, physical violence, all violence is corrected by the fruit of gentleness. And then our self-indulgence, our self-centeredness that is at the heart of a, a, a tarnished and a broken sexual ethic is corrected by the fruit of self-control. That we are in control of ourselves through the grace of the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our lives. We can live this self-controlled life that Paul's talking about, where we are faithful to God, faithful to ourselves, honoring toward others. The, the early church, the earliest Christians, uh, were known for having a sexual ethic that is very, very different from the world around them. And, and that should still be the case. And again, that's not about who is doing what with who. But it's about leaning into faithfulness and practicing honoring others and learning to do so through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what that's what we're called to today. And that's what, what, what I want us to envision when we talk about a Christian sexual ethic. It begins with. It's formed by, its, its foundation is a, a sanctification of our sexual self that we, in our relationships and in, in our desire for connectedness in physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional ways, is being conformed to the image and the pattern of Jesus Christ. And we are becoming more like him and more obedient to him in our expressions of sex and sexuality and that begins it is it is formed at its foundation by this idea of of being faithful and being honoring are there other things that we can talk about in regard to sexuality and sexual ethics yes absolutely there are um, we can talk about those things we should talk about those things we will talk about those things. We will have those conversations uh, down the road. Uh, but for right now, this is the place that we have to start. So, uh, brothers and sisters, um, we are called uh, by God's will to be sanctified, to say no to sexual immorality, to a sexuality um, that is idolatrous, uh, to a sexuality that is out of control, to a sexuality that harms others and instead we are called to faithfulness and we are called to honoring those around us 
uh, with our sexual lives.